I was I was switching back to the uh, to the to the other podcast we're recording. <laughs> this is gonna. Be- it's like Inception. It's like Inception. There's a podcast inside the podcast. Welcome to ADSP the podcast episode 13 recorded on February 13th 2021. My name is Connor and today with my co-host Bryce we talk about Microsoft Excel. Perfect intro, perfect intro to why Excel is the why so why are we talking about Excel? Did we say I feel like at the end of one of our podcasts in a section that got cut, Excel came up and then you said you said I'm I'm the best at Excel. <laughs> then, I do not think. And then I think I, I was that. like, I think Whoa. I expressed a proficiency for Excel. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna go back through all our. I think I know which episode it is, so I don't think I need to go back through all twelve. I'm gonna find the clip and I'm gonna cut it in, and we're gonna see what Bryce said. I think <laughs> Bryce said he was the he was the you know the goat at Excel, and then I just said, hold your hold your horses, hold your horses, Bryce. I used yeah. to have three different Excel programs, 2003, 2007, and 2010, all at the same time installed on my computer because I loved Excel so much. Um, and I just excelled. You, I believe you referred to yourself as the Excel wizard. Oh, yeah. That's for sure. Honestly, so here's an, anecdote, here's an anecdotal story. Back in uh, 2011, I was interviewing uh for my first internship or first co-oper internship i was in what is that third year going in i was in third year university and uh, i was interviewing for a company called manulife um, which at the time owns the american insurance company john hancock which is the company i ended up working at uh in toronto and um they asked me at one point how would you rate yourself on a scale of one to ten in excel and I'm a pretty modest, at that time, you know, I'd like to think I'm a pretty modest guy. So instead of giving myself a 10 out of 10, I said, you know, there's probably some room for improvement. (laughs) And I gave myself a 9 out of 10. But I I gave some color commentary. So I said, you know, I don't want to say I'm perfect. So I want to leave some room for improvement. (laughs) I'm a 9 out of 10. What did you use Excel for before you were, like, before you were working? Like graphs. Um. Okay, wait, wait, wait. I thought I thought that your passion for Excel came out of like your brief stint as an actuarial yes scientist. Yes. You're but getting it to sounds, the, you're... It sounds like it predates that. It sounds like uh, it sounds like it may have been the other way around. You were like a nerd about Excel, and then you decided you should become an actuarial scientist. No, no. I So here's the, here's the ball. Here's the the punchline of the story is, you know, so the, I'm there thinking that I know everything there is to know about Excel. In hindsight, with the knowledge that I have now about what you can do with Excel, I would give myself a zero out of ten um, at that point in time. <laughs> I didn't even know what a pivot table was. I didn't know that you could filter rows. I literally knew like nothing about Excel, but I just didn't, I didn't know. Sorry. You didn't know you could filter rows. I didn't know anything. Like it's, it's comical that, uh, but that's the thing is uh, you don't know what you don't know. You know, it's people don't ever think that they have a bad memory. 
because they don't remember what they've forgotten, right? Um, anyways, so at, at the time, I, I thought I knew about Excel, and then I ended up getting the job there, and I went and worked for eight months, and that was where I had my eyes opened, um, and I we came across this one file that was used for calculating, I don't know, some basis points on some boring insurance product. Um, but you open up the file and you click a, a macro button and then this form popped up and it was like a full blown computer program. And I was like, what the hell is this? Like, this is not the Excel that I know. And, uh, and then I was like, started clicking on things and I was like, this is a full blown program. And, uh, sure enough, like the, the, the visual basic VBA visual basic application code was like the, the worksheet was protected so then I spent like half a day uh, figuring out how to hack Excel 2003 with a hex editor, which is, was pretty simple back in the day. So I, I hacked the file and got access to the source code. And and then it was just like I had entered the matrix. And it was on, honestly like... Was I had, this before I, you were programming? Yeah, this was before. And so this is the thing is I was an actuarial science major at the time. I went and did my eight months at Manulife slash John Hancock. And then I came out of it and I was like, I have to double major in computer science. Like, like computer science is the future because I had, I had fallen into the, the matrix that was Excel. And uh, it's just, it's unbelievable. For, and also too, I use um, the, the best color palette that I've ever come across was in Excel 2003. There's like a pastel default color palette. Um, I'll, I'll find a way, actually... All of my um, Google Translate algorithm comparison, like screenshots where I show like filter in, you know, 20 different programming languages, that uses the color scheme from Excel 2003. Like I went and got the exact, you know, hex codes for those colors and embedded them into the closure script that generates those pictures uh, because it's just, it's just beautiful. It's, it's so, it's like Easter, it's happy. Um, it just, it, it makes me, you know, they, they really dropped the ball when they went to 2007 and added the ribbon and then they changed the color schemes to be these crappy, you know, one color, different shades, you know, green, you know, orange. Anyways, we should start to talk about why, ex- well, you know. Well, how do you feel about Google Sheets? Uh, I have a soft place in my heart for all spreadsheet programs. So like anyone that says Google Sheets is Excel like doesn't know anything about Excel. Mac Excel is not Excel. Lib, uh, uh, LibreOffice, whatever Sheets or whatever it's called, that's not Excel. Excel is hands down like only Excel on Windows or like Linux Wine. Um, although I've never used Linux Wine, but I think it's just the same thing. What, a, because, what about Office 365 Excel? The uh, that's, Excel. The, that's the online one, right? Yeah. I have not played with that enough. For, for the times that I've gone and used it, it's done... It's been able to do everything that I've tried to do in the browser. All right, t- time for me to tell an embarrassing Microsoft story. Microsoft will never be a sponsor of this podcast after this, I'm sure. I, I about a year ago, I had, it was a dot .doc, so not a dot .docx, but um, a dot .doc file. So like a 2003 um, uh, Word file that I'm pretty sure it was an ISO or Insights thing. So it was it was some form that one of the standards bodies I worked with had sent me, and um, I wanted to have it. It was it was something we needed to fill out for like a response to some. It was a response to some ISO thing. I think it was like comments on 
whether we wanted to retire some old standards, but it had to be filled out in a certain form. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to stick it in, 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 uh, you know, office online and then everybody will be able to comment on it. And I, I, uh, uploaded it through office online and it was like, Hey, we're going to have to convert your file. I'm like, okay. And I press okay. It completely crapped out on converting this file, like completely misformed. So I went and tried it with Google Docs, did it perfectly. So I'm not saying that that uh, Google's online uh, uh, versions of um, Microsoft Office Suite are better than real Office Suite. Um, they're certainly not, but I am saying I'm pretty sure that they're better than Microsoft's online version of the Office Suite. I I don't doubt that at all, and I will say that like for for the use cases that m- the majority of people, like I'd probably say 99% of folks that use uh, Google Sheets, like for what they're using it for, it's amazing. You do not need Excel for you know, you know, for example, when I played. You know, uh, what do you call it? Co-ed soccer in Toronto with some fellow actuaries. We would, you know, have the schedule and attendance and whoever was showing up. We did that all in Google Sheets. Like, you do not need Excel for that. <laughs> that's um, a very, that's a very actuarial thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Of course or like, we, we whenever the actual at my at my where I started my career, whenever we would go out for uh, <laughs> this is gonna sound so lame. Whenever we would go out for like some fancier dinner or, or lunch. Uh, we would like we would just pay all one person would pay and then you'd just keep the receipt and then we would create a sheet and then calculate like the tax and tip and then everyone would just e-transfer instead of just like rounding up or down to the closest 10 or 15 like the actuaries we like to get it right down to the penny makes us makes us feel good to open up a spreadsheet just just because we can and uh and back out that tip and tax correctly i do find myself spending a lot of time in um in the like I, I think that the Google uh, Office Suite is like the most powerful collaborative tool out there. I just I would I would kill for a version of Google Docs but that supports Markdown natively. Ooh. Like I I wrote up this beautiful design document uh, that I sent around last week and like three people replied with what and I just like stuck it in GitLab and three people replied with like, but how do I how do I leave comments on things? Uh, and I'm like, no, this is like, this is a later draft. The earlier draft was in Google Docs. Now I want it in like Markdown so that I can be more precise. And I want it in version control. And uh, there were some more complaining. And then I spent my whole day Friday converting this 40-page document I, I, back from a, from a uh, Markdown file to a Google Docs file. Like this thing started off its life in Google Docs, got edited a bunch, then it moved to GitLab. And then it finally ended up back again in Google Docs. And uh, I mean, I do love it as a collaborative platform. I just wish it supported Markdown. And I wish it supported references too, like internal references. I wish it supported named internal references. You can add bookmarks, but you can't give them a specific name. So it's hard to set up uh, uh, proper internal references. That's one of the nice things about tools like uh, Markdown and uh, Bike Shed. But... uh, as but, as yeah, a collaborative the, tool, yeah, Google Docs is amazing. Um, yeah, so, sometimes for it, for it, for some things, if it needs to be in Markdown, I'll still use Google Docs. I'll just like make it monospace font and no paragraph formatting, and I'll tell everybody editing it like this is this is plain text. I know it's in Google Docs, but edited as plain text. 
but um, if uh, for certain audiences, people will be sad if it doesn't look pretty, even if it's in Markdown. So that wasn't yep. an option here. So here's the thing, though. We got to talk. We we got to talk about two things. One is why why is why do I love Excel so much? Why is it so amazing? But two. I listened to, and I've been on a podcast called um, Talk Python to Me. It's one of, it's a super popular podcast. A lot of Python folks listen into it, listen to it. And I'd say like one every three episodes, the host is like trying to convince people that have Excel files and that are building like models in Excel that they need to switch to Python. And it's just this like unusable tool. It's such a mess. You can't, you know... In Python, you can name your variables. You can look things up. In Excel, it's you know a one. What does a one mean? And um, and like there's just this constant sort of like bashing of Excel. And I think a part of it is just a lack of understanding. But but hang on, if you wanna if you wanna if you wanna refer to um, uh, columns with like proper names, not just like a one, you can definitely do that in Excel. I mean, it takes a little setup. So that's that's what I was gonna set. I was setting myself up to do that, but you stole the thunder. But that so that's the thing is. (laughs) They're like, oh yeah, what does B four mean? Like, you know, whereas in Python, you can give that you can give that a name, um, and it's like, well, no, you can give that a name in Excel too, <laughs> and then you can like you can refer to it in other sheets as well. Um, but so the thing is, is there's this there's this like push of consultants uh, that are like offering training and like, oh, let migrate your Excel to Python, and like I have yet to hear anyone pitch that that actually understands Excel because a lot of the stuff that they talk about, oh, like, oh, look how much more powerful this is in Python. You can do this, this, and that. You can't do that in Excel. Every single time they say something like that, I'm like, you can do that in Excel. Um, and sometimes it's actually easier to do. Um, so so the, the first thing is that, uh, and I actually haven't watched the Simon Peyton Jones, the individual who works on, you know, he's widely acknowledged as, sort of being like the father of Haskell um, and he works on the GHC compiler. He has a talk called Excel, you know, the purely functional programming language or something like that. I haven't seen it, but I think of Excel and I probably will give a future talk at some point as it's like the perfect combination of object-oriented programming in the way that most people think of it, not in the way that Alan Kay intended it to be, and functional programming. So in terms of object-oriented programming, you have... At the top level, workbooks, and then inside your workbooks, like so a workbook is just an Excel file, inside your Excel file, you have sheets, and inside your sheets, you have cells. And like every single one of these things has properties that you can control and manipulate uh, using Visual Basic application. And also you can like refer to stuff using just like Excel formula stuff. But like it's... It's a perfect like thing to like give an example of an object-oriented system. Like you have one object that's made up of other objects that's made up of other objects, and they all have properties. It's, so it's amazing. And then on top of that, the formula uh, where you go equals and then average of you know a column, that's like in a certain sense a functional language. It's a very bad functional language because it falls into the inside-out problem where you end up with like the average and then inside of like uh, a sum if. And then a conditional, and then you have end up with a bunch of parentheses, and it's extremely hard to read. But technically, that's like a functional language. So you've got like a functional programming language, an object-oriented model, and then on top of that, like there's a ton of other like algorithms and things that show up in programming that are like there in in Excel. So 
One example is a sum type, aka one of the algebraic data types. There is something called data validation in Python, and they have the or not in Python, in Excel, and they have the same thing in Google Sheets, where basically you can write a list of values, and then in another cell, set it up so that you are validating that the only values that can show up in that cell are in that list. And then what it does is it gives you like a little combo box, which is like, it's so nice. So if you want to set something up that's like a yes or no option, you just type yes or no in a little list, you data validate it in a cell, and then it gives you a little drop-down box of your options. That is purely a algebraic data type right there. And it's one of my favorite features of Excel, data validation. And and they have, the, Excel has, has notions of mutability too, because you can you can protect cells. Yeah, like there's, the, there's this whole like, I'm not sure if it's like reactive programming, but like it's it's this graph model of where you have a dependencies where, you know, one cell is equal to the sum of a bunch of other cells and those. And so there's this thing of like data tracing where you can trace what cells depend on other cells. So it actually visually shows you the graph, which is like, it's freaking amazing. So like, and people are like, oh, you can never debug. You don't know what depends on what. And it's like, you just, you literally click a button and then it shows you one level of data tracing and then another level and another level. And so like, you can literally see visually on the screen, um, like what points to what. The only thing that has even comes remotely close to that in any programming language or IDE that I've seen is Dr. Racket. That if you highlight a variable, if you uh, hover your cursor over a variable in Dr. Racket, it will draw arrows to every other instance of that variable in your program. And I guess you could technically argue in IDEs and editors, a lot of them when you uh, select a whole word, it will highlight every other instance of that as well. But like you don't get arrows. Like if something is not on your monitor, you're not going to see it like an arrow that's pointing towards it. And then there's a whole other like, you know, we could do a whole other podcast on how basically pandas and rapids QDF is basically just uh, pivot tables. Like pivot tables in Excel are group. Yeah, yeah. Explain what pivot tables are for the uh, for those who are not Excel wizards. So ba basically, uh, a pivot table you select a table of data, uh, a table of data where you have columns and rows. So imagine like in your rows you have a country, and you know Canada, America, whatever. It's two hundred plus countries in the world. You got them all. And then in the columns is a bunch of data. So the first column is population. The second uh, column is GDP. Whatever. You go on and list a bunch of uh, statistics about each of the countries. You highlight that whole table. You go to, you know, insert pivot table and you click next, next, next. And then you're given like an empty window and you can, dr and then it gives you like all of the options from your columns and your rows that you can drag and drop onto this empty table. And it automatically is going to do like group buys and reductions. So basically if say you wanted to know in one of the columns, it might say the continent that your uh, country is in. So say you want to know the total population in each continent. You can do basically a group by continent. So it's going to group all of the countries together. And then you just specify what's the reduction that you want to do. So you can just do a sum reduction on the population. Like this is the essence of pandas and uh, rapids QDF. And like Excel did it first. And before Excel did it, I'm actually not sure. I'm pretty sure SQL came before Excel and uh, Excel pivot tables were just replicating what uh, SQL like joins and group buys. That's, that's where I think they all originated. Um, interesting fact in my uh, meetup on Monday, um, the individual who named group buy was there. And uh, when I said something about group buy, he was like, oh, fun fact, I named that algorithm. And I was like, <laughs> what? Um, 
Anyways, so uh, I just, I think it's just, and that's the thing. So one of the things that uh, on Talk Python to me, the host says, he'll be like, oh yeah, you know, and then in Python, once you've, once you've ported your app, you get access to like NumPy and Pandas. Those things are just like, they're just like replications of what you could do previously in Excel. And so anyways, I'll stop my, my ramble and give you a chance uh, to chat. But well, like, so I just... I, I've, I've been, so back when I was working uh, in the public sector, first at LSU and then Berkeley, uh, working at HPC centers, I spent a lot of my time doing benchmarks and um, and benchmarking of like lots of low lots of very low level niche metrics. Like I spent a lot of time working on uh, uh, task runtime. So I spent a lot of time benchmarking things like um, user space, context switching overhead um, and latencies associated with uh, task creation, et cetera. Um, and uh, uh, then later I did a lot, I spent a lot of time doing parameter sweeps and tuning of like, you know, what's the right chunk size to use for this algorithm and i actually these days we do a lot of that in the libraries that we work with too that we have there's a bunch of different accesses that we have to tune all these libraries on and um you just get an explosion of data very quickly so like, like excel is ideal for um you know like simple benchmarking but once it gets more complex you start thinking oh maybe like i should go and you know write some programs for this and I spent some period of time writing uh, uh, a series of terrible Python scripts to do this. Um, I don't, I do not know how to write good Python. So I just wrote bad hacky Python that parsed CSV and spit out more CSV. And I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big uh, statistics purist when it comes to uh, computer benchmarks. If you show me like a benchmark graph and you don't have, you know, error bars and you don't, you don't mention anything about, you know, your experimental uncertainty, um, then I'm just like, your data is invalid. Like for all, for all I know, there's like, you know, 50% relative uh, error here and none of these are meaningful. Um, so I always like, like I wanted like my little stats package in my Python scripts. And, um, you know, when I would go and spend two months to get it doing just what I wanted, yeah, like it was pretty great. And then like if I needed to repeat the experiment, it was pretty great. And it was it was nice to manage all the data in text files and just be able to run Python scripts. But uh, boy, Excel is just like, if you just need to like to go do something in like five or 10 minutes, like Excel is just <laughs> so much quicker. So what one of my rules of thumb for any benchmarking system is it has to output in uh, CSV, um, and the reason for that is that uh, if you output your data in CSV uh, in a sane fashion, you can copy and paste the data into Excel, and it will um, uh, automatically text to columns without any other work. And so that capability of being able to do a copy and a paste from your raw output to Excel and not, and, and, I, and I don't mean like copy paste into Excel and then you have to run text to columns. I mean, you should format your output from a benchmark in such a way that when you paste it into Excel, it is in a sane format there. Um, that is just like so useful because um, then you can go into Excel and you can um, uh, set up whatever graphs and um, metrics, uh, like like derived metrics that you want, um, whatever analysis you want to do, 
Um, and then the next time when you need to update your data, you can just copy from the output of the script and just paste it right in. Um, you don't even have to mess around with setting up. Uh, Excel does have support for um, external data sources, so you can set that up too, so that like you have some some cells in your Excel sheet that will be read in from some external file. So you can set that up if you want to get fancy. But for a lot of people, you know that's too much work. But just copying and pasting in is so simple, um, and so that then it gives you a nice way to uh, to like get 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 uh, uh, some benchmark uh, uh, you know graphs up and running really quickly, and then be able to update them later. Yeah, I think like CSV files you can just open natively in Excel. Yeah. You don't even need to copy and paste them. Uh, and yeah, like even. Text to yeah, column, but but, it, but if but if you're gonna if the idea is that like I'm I'm not just gonna have the CSV data, but like I want to write some I want to put a graph into the sheet, or I want to right, write right. some you know uh, some some formulas that use that data. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, text to column. There's there's another like just c- extremely useful tool. Oh, yeah. Um, just just for general things. Like I remember one of the first years I competed in Advent of Code, which I think we mentioned on a previous. Uh, episode, which is just the contest during December, problem a day, um, where you have to solve solve something in whatever programming language you want. And like half of the time it's parsing. And like, I think literally for like, I mean, it might have even been this year, I just solved it in Excel because it was it was just like trimming white space and stuff. And, and the text to column, for those that you don't know, you basically, when you copy and paste something in, uh, if it doesn't automatically go to, you know, it's not just comma delimited, it's, you know, whatever delimited, it'll just paste into a single column. You just hit, you know, Alt-D-E, which is like the old school, you know, 2003 shortcut. And thank you so much, Microsoft, because that's the thing. They introduced the ribbon and a bunch of new shortcuts for everything, but they they grandfathered in. I'm, is that an inclusive term, grandfathered? I'm not sure. No, it's not. It is. It is. <laughs> whatever the uh, inclusive term is for... Uh, keeping something around um, even though they had reinvented it. They kept all the old shortcuts from 2003, which is what I had like. So I still to this day know, like, you know, I I don't know them off. Like it's it's muscle memory, but they kept them all in, which is just, it's so, I'm so thankful. It's just an amazing thing. And uh, yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll, you're going to hear me say, is that inclusive? And then I'm going to, I'm going to cut in myself saying, uh, Turns out it's not. Stay tuned for next next time. <laughs> but back to Excel, um, and uh, and then we'll we'll loop back to this point now. Have you seen? Have you heard about the guy who paints? Uh, who like does paintings in Excel? Yeah, yeah. So we, I will link. Um, I'm not sure if it's actually the same thing. There, there might be multiple. You think there are uh, multiple Excel, guys Excel that are artists. painting in Excel? Um, I, all I know is that there's a talk. That is given. There's actually there was an amazing. Ah, stay on topic. There's a talk that. Uh, <laughs> there's a talk that's been given that demonstrates the power of like yeah, showing some image um, in Excel. And then I've, I was. I've heard ahead. of managing up and I've heard of managing down, but self managing. <laughs> oh no! Don't go off on that tangent, Connor. That'd be bad. I've I've not heard that before. Well, it's, it's just because in the midst of talking about this one Excel presentation that is, you know, a conference talk or whatever, it's 15 minutes, I thought about another one that's even more exciting. But the problem about that one is it was internally given at Amazon. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I, I won't go into details, but it basically it was, it was, it was, it was a presentation on machine learning and, uh, convolutional neural networks all given like from the perspective of like, you know, a 10 by 10 grid image in an Excel sheet. Um, and it had some like animations and it was just, it was wonderful. Like, uh, you know, Facebook has a really good, I'll try and get a link to it of like the basics of convolutional neural nets. And it shows like, you know, uh, trying to get image recognition for a C versus a D. And it just shows a three by three grid. A C is, you know, uh, it's got, what is that? Six of the nine colored, or no, seven of the nine colored. And a D has eight of the nine uh, squares colored, all except for the middle one. And basically you end up with a mask that's just a one in the one cell that's different for Cs and Ds. And that's how you like distinguish the difference. But like, the Excel presentation that I saw uh, was like that, except it sort of went into more detail, and it was just, it was just fantastic. One, it was a really really good um, internal talk that I saw, and uh, yeah, I've, I've seen. There, I'll, I'll try and find all the Excel presentations that I've seen in the past. Um, but yes, the the artist uh, the artist one is it's very yeah. I, I love I love Excel. I love Excel. I love I love APL and I love Excel. And I failed linear algebra. So what does that say about me? I don't know. Um. <laughs> All right. So the guy, the guy who paints with Excel. So, so we should explain the basic concept for people that have not heard of this before. You go ahead, man. I'm what you're. You're the Excel wizard. You're the, no, I'm no. I've, I've, I've spent too much talk in the Excel uh, the, episode. The the basically there's a guy if I recall it was like an older an older guy who makes paintings in Excel by like coloring individually coloring a bunch of small cells and then you like you zoom out and it looks like a painting and uh, like this is his process I don't remember why he came to this doesn't seem super efficient to me but hey to each to each their own I mean I do a lot of weird like tech things too like you know like the it's not a week that goes by that somebody on my team doesn't tell me like, why are you doing it that way? Why aren't you like using this Vim shortcut or whatever? And I'm like, because I'm old and cranky. I'm not actually old. I am kind of cranky, but that's, uh, that's kind of me. I'm, I'm bad at tech. It's a wonderful piece of software. Um, I'm, I'm sure I've even forgotten like 50% of what makes it. Um, oh yeah, that's, I, for, I totally forgot. Perfect. Um, there's so many algorithms. So uh, yeah. inner product, a.k.a. transform reduce, that's some product, equals some product in um, Excel. Uh, the classic stencil example from Thrust. So um, this is better known as projections in C++ 20 ranges, um, where basically you're given... Uh, so so the, the easiest example is copy if. So copy if, typically you provided a range and a unary predicate, and you, know, you want to copy all the even elements. But what if you want to copy elements from one range based on the predicate being applied to another range. In Thrust, we call that a stencil. In uh, C++ 20 ranges, we call that a projection. That came from Excel. I'm not, it probably didn't come from Excel, but the first time I discovered it was in Excel, and it's the sum if, or you know, insert algorithm underscore if, uh, where you basically give it two ranges, a predicate, and then you're summing one range based on some other range. I, I'll stop there, but... The point is there's so many algorithms that like exist in programming languages. They're all there in Excel too. And like half the time when I discover an algorithm, I'm like, oh yeah, that's uh, that's the that algorithm from Excel. Cause that's where, that's where, that's where I grew up. I grew up in Excel 2003. I probably written like 10, 20,000 lines. Um, oh yeah. And I, t- I totally forgot to mention 
I I have like Excel spreadsheets for everything. Yeah, um, and and there there is one. I was about to say there's a great teaser here for a future episode. And we've given this teaser before, I think. Of Connor has this spreadsheet that I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a catalog of Connor's pursuit of knowledge. And oh yeah, yeah. It I is, was wondering which um, one you're talking about. <laughs> that tells you a lot about Connor. He just has all of his crucial aspects of his life. It's has so, some spreadsheet. So here's what's perfect. I have. I almost always have this spreadsheet open, um, and it's called Portfolio of Words. And this, this, yes. Uh, this, this. Uh, I'm so excited. I can't even speak. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this Excel spreadsheet, it started back in 2011, the same time when I was at uh, Manulife slash John Hancock, and um, I'd fallen into the Excel matrix, but then I also had fallen into the world of finance and was like, oh my goodness, there's so much to learn. And so I started reading, and it was at that point that I became a voracious reader. Um, and I, you know, I started reading The Big Short by Michael Lewis and a bunch of other books, you know, the essays by Warren Buffett. But there was a ton of words that I, I just like... You can read a book and you'll come across a word and you understand the sentence. But if someone asked you to define like one of the words from that sentence, you wouldn't actually be able to uh, define it. And so what I started doing is while I would read, um, even if I was on the subway, I just I'd enter it into my phone on like a little notepad and then copy and copy them over to the Excel sp- uh, spreadsheet later. And I would I would keep a list of every single word that I wasn't able to like explicitly define. And I've come across some amazing words. One of my favorite words is perspicacious. It means keenly observant. I absolutely love that word. Um, I was hoping we were going to, I was hoping we were going to get to your favorite word. Um, I, I, and that's, I have to, um, that one and then ephemeral. Uh, I love ephemeral too. It's, it's, it means something that uh, is only, it's fleeting. It only uh, lasts for, you know, uh, a limited amount of time. You know what um, word I've really been liking late, lately is liminal, and in particular liminal space. So I've li- never even heard that before. It, it like liminal is like uh, sort of means like transitionary, and a liminal space is like a space in between some other space. So like it's like a transitionary space or a transitionary time. Interesting. Yeah, that's a nice word. How do you spell that? Um, L I M I N. A L, relating to a transitional or initial stage of a process. Damn. So that's I'm gonna have to add it to my to my sheet. But see, see, so this is the thing. So it started. This document just started as a list of words, and then I added a tab called books, and it started. And then I started keeping track of the date that I finished a book, all of the books that I wanted to read, and so there's like literally like six different reading lists. One of them's, uh, most of them are finance ones. One of them's like uh, the Financial Times Book of the Year Award. To this date, I've read, since 2011, I've read 164 books. Um, And then from there, when I started watching CppCon videos, I started adding tabs for that. And then I started setting goals. Anyways, so the whole thing's exploded. This this spreadsheet's um, like Connor's life. One, so we will do a future episode where Connor will share his screen with me and we will review this spreadsheet <laughs> in its entirety and I will ask questions and it will be a great episode. Yeah, there, there's a couple embarrassing. I mean, I think uh, I think the Fifty Shades of Grey books, they're, they're in there. Um, so there's there's some... Uh, I'm, I'm happy to share it though. I mean, sometimes when I'm... Uh, 
Uh, that 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 was not an optional thing. I was I was stating <laughs> what's gonna happen, not asking permission. Oh look, I have an APL. Interesting. I have an APL tab, and uh, but that was that was set up in back of two thousand nine December two thousand nineteen. How many and, and, sheets does Portfolio of Words have now? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. How do I? 17 um but a lot of them a lot of them i never look at like well yeah one of them is uh it's 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 a it's a sheet called witticisms um which is just little like uh two word or three word phrases that i would come across in uh, books that i just thought were fantastic and honestly i haven't looked at this in maybe a couple years um do you have a, a tab for bryce quotes uh, I do not. Um, I do have a I do have a file called quotes that I believe there's a couple of quotes from you in. Um, but uh, yeah, like so in witticisms, the first one is infelicitous remark. Um, number four is intellectual pioneer. Six is a jocular remark. Um, eight is palpable falsity. That's fantastic. Um, ten is mechanistic objectivity. Whoo, that is just rolls off the tongue. Um, a shrewd observer and a judicious writer. Uh, yeah, so these, these are great. And then I think, oh yeah, warm-up words. And so I have another tab. Um, so I used to, this is getting way off in the weeds. Uh, I used to do professional theater. We never do um, that. We never get off in the weeds. Anyway, t- <laughs> tell, about, tell us about your acting days. Uh, well, that'll be a whole other episode. But the point is, is that you learn phrases that are difficult to pronounce. And they, as you know, the, the one that everyone has heard of, or I, I would assume a lot of people have heard of, maybe not everyone, is tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips. Um, that, so that's what never actors say. Never heard of it before. And really? Never heard of it before. You're... And and my fa- my father's a theater director. Yeah, you're from New York, bro. Um, I'm no, surprised yeah, my you dad's a theater that. director. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, tip, of, tip of the tongue, the teeth, the lips. So I, I had heard that one before. Um, the one that I learned from my theater days was unique New York um, to try and say that like five times fast, like unique New York, unique New York, unique New York. You try now, Bryce. This will be fun. New York, New York, North. <laughs> <laughs> unique New York, unique New York, unique New York, unique there. Yeah. yeah, it's hard. Well, it's, hard. We, it's already um, well established that I am bad at pronouncing things. That's well, it's, it's, it's when I started doing it, you get like one word into it and then you fumble. You really have to you really have to practice it. And so I set up this tab that when I came across words that I had trouble pronouncing, uh, I would just add it. So like the first three are interdisciplinary, uh, sole proprietorship and hierarchical. Um, and then number 13 is unlexicographically. When when I first read that word, I was like, WTF, what is this? One of the ones that's tough um, for me is amicable. And uh, there's a few others that are sort of like... Amicable? That. Yeah. You have trouble with amicable? Yeah. There's a, there's a couple others in that 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 uh, that family. Uh, there, there's another one that I'm thinking of that I have... Or there's another one that I have trouble with that I can't remember what the word is. Because I'm old. So we've established yeah, lexicog- lexicographer. Yeah, I don't even know if that's lexicographer. Is uh, I think I'm pronouncing that right. Oh, then yeah, and then sometimes saying words side by side, so like commensurate and commensurable, and then commensurately and commensurably. I, and I think I may be messing that up, but yeah, these are these are great. The Excel. So we didn't even get. I was gonna mention, and we'll end here because. Uh, because your uh, girlfriend's going to kill you. Well, you she, don't. She's, she's not back yet, um, but she's <laughs> going to come in and I'm going to be, well, Excel is amazing. And she's going to be like, what's going on? Um, 
But so uh, two different programs that I wrote that were extremely useful um, over time um, was one was a study tool when I was studying for my actuarial exams. And Excel is so amazing because in the visual, in the VBA code, you can um, execute shell scripts. And so basically what I did is I had like all of these questions that were loaded in from a study guide and they would have like an abbreviated answer and then link to a page in a PDF for like the full-blown context to review. And so what I did is I, I, I got all these questions into an Excel spreadsheet and I set up some macro buttons. And so it would just randomly generate like a pop-up window with a question. And then I would answer it myself in my head. And then you could click a button in the pop-up window called answer. And that would execute a shell script, which would use the Sumatra PDF, which is only available on Windows. It's not available on Linux. And it had like, uh, if you opened it up on the command line, you could pass it like a flag with a page number. And so I would click this button for answer and it would launch me the uh, PDF file to the exact page with the answer on it. And it was freaking fantastic. It was fantastic. Um, and I was just like, when people would see me and they're like, what are you doing? This like these PDFs popping up and shutting down. And it was just the best. Um, and then I also built a, a study tool when I was learning Chinese um, that had so many different modes. Cause that was the thing you just, you'd put like the word in one column and then like uh, the Chinese character, the pinion, which is like the phonetic translation, uh, the definition. And then I had like, uh, I had modes where I was just practicing Chinese reading, where I was practicing um, the, the pinyin, the pronunciation. And and the, the beauty of building these tools is that you could gamify it. So you could set up a tab or like a little graph that while you're, while you're generating these pop-up windows, so like the word, uh, you know, whoa, uh, shows up on the screen in the Chinese character, which means I in Chinese. And so then you can, you can say whoa, which is, ha it has the third tone, which is like a little up and down. And so you have little like uh, check boxes for like what you got right. Did you pronounce it right? Uh, did you get the the um, the actual word right? Maybe you can't recognize it. And then over time in the little graph, it'll show you like what your percentage of like right and wrong is. Um, and then you can set up like uh, color highlighting that if you're above 80%, you have a nice little green box. And if you're below 80%, you have like a, a yellow box. And if you're below 50%, you have like a red highlighted box. It's... It's fantastic. You look bored, Bryce, but I tell you, it's the best. It's the best. Um, Connor, I am probably... never bored when you're excited. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's just a that's just a you know that's just a couple of um, of the spreadsheets. And uh, I, I the same way that I feel about you know all programming languages and that we should be kind to you know whatever, insert programming language, you know, Perl. Everyone loves to hate on Perl. And uh, I love Perl. The little uh, I know about Perl, I love it. When I worked um, at LSU, uh, there was this professor, Steve Brandt, um, was one of the guys I worked with. And um, he, was a, he was a PL guy. You and him would get along very well. Yeah, you and him would get along, like, troublingly well. Um, but uh, he knew how to write Perl. And... Uh, <laughs> If if you wanted some a, a script that did some like you know something like you know some 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 typical Linux hackery thing, like you could just send Steve an email roughly describing what you'd want, and like five minutes later, a like Perl script 
with like no white space and like as few lines as possible would be sent back to you and you wouldn't know how it would work, but it would do exactly what you wanted. Yep, that's awesome. Uh, I've heard, yeah, I've heard Perl was, it. I heard it used to be like an absolutely loved language back in the day when yeah. it first came we out. Should, we um, should sometime, we should do an episode on it sometime because it used to be really popular. I think it has a few really good features going for it. And then uh, it's become a lot less popular recently. So it'd be interesting to like do an episode on the history of Perl. Perl has one of the properties and we're going to do an episode on Bash someday. Perl and Bash have a similar property, which I really like, which is one of the reasons why I'm such a big fan of Bash is Bash makes it very easy to invoke um, uh, other processes and to like, like chain them together, and as does Perl. Like if you've ever done any scripting in Python, um, you know, Python's great, but it is a bit more verbose and a bit more work to construct um, uh, like to, to, to cobble together a task by invoking a bunch of other programs in Python. You have to go through a, a more verbose, you know, sub-process API, whereas in both Bash and Perl, the idea of, hey, I'm going to, uh, the idea of invoking other like tools and processes um, is a much more inherent part of the language. You know what we should do? We should try and get Larry Wall. Let's try and get the creator of Pearl to come on our podcast. Uh, we'll have Sean Parent on first, yeah. and then we'll have Larry Wall on. And yeah. uh, Sean, that's this is your this is your notice that uh, you are going to be the first <laughs> guest on our podcast. We're not sure when, but uh, we can't we can't not have him as our first guest on because that would just it wouldn't be right. It's like the planets would be misaligned and um, yeah. something. It can it be like that, Sean, then Tony, then Larry. Oh yeah. Also, yeah. Do you want to? While we're wrapping up, uh, there's a lot of discussion last week on the uh, <laughs> what goes in a standard library episode. Anything you'd like to say to uh, to the folks at uh, large? I will say I um, I have no edits to my stance, and I will be giving a talk <laughs> at C now called "What Belongs in the C Standard Library." Um, and, uh, I expect that talk to be exactly in line with my, my tweets. That's where we'll call it. Thanks for listening. We hope you have a great day and we'll see you in the next episode.